Cortez to throw. Down the left side to fade. LaVisca's in the end zone. Over the shoulder. Catch is made by LaVisca Chenault. Touchdown. Touchdown, Colorado. How do you cover that man? Well, second down at 8 for the 16. Coletta, play action. Hit by Terrence Slang, and he's sacked inside the 10 at the 9-yard line. Terrence Slang, there's no better-looking football player. Takes a snap, dropping the throne. He's got time. Downfield, KD Nixon, backpedaling, one-handed crab outside the 20 in the 15-yard line. Oh, what a catch by KD Nixon. Between the hashes, moving left to right, loopily, shotgun snap. Gives the inside handoff, and that thing is blowing up that time. Oh, what a play by Landman. I mean, as soon as it was handoff, Landman was right there, and you can hear the pads popping all the way up here in the broadcast booth. Holy cow, what a play. Montez fake handoff, turns the corner, and there he goes. 2015-10-5, touchdown, Steven Montez. Holy cow, he had the fake, and he rolled out to his left, and he was so alone, it looked like he was late for school as he went trucking in. Welcome in to a new Buff Stampede Radio, a mailbag edition. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com. Here again with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. Two pods recording today. This is exciting. Life gets in the way sometimes of us recording these, so it's good. And we're going to have a ton of talk about, obviously, in August. Uh, Some good questions coming our way on this show. Once again, Buff Stampede Radio is brought to you by the EverPillow. Have you struggled in getting a full, healthy night of sleep? Could it be that your neck and spine are just not in perfect spinal alignment? Look no further. Make sure you get a fully customizable pillow for every sleep style and every body type. Get an EverPillow sold at InfiniteMoon.com. Just add or remove the natural fill to get the pillow exactly how you want. The EverPillow was chosen as the best pillow by the Washington Post in 2018, and it has been featured on the Today Show and multiple local news channels for a reason. Support a Colorado company that loves the buffs and makes an amazing product. Save 10% now at InfiniteMoon.com by using GoBuffs in the cart. Always free delivery and a 100-day risk-free trial. InfiniteMoon.com. Tyler, the now wife, takes her EverPillow on the road with her because she loves it so much. But for the honeymoon traveling down to Mexico, we were trying to travel light. Didn't bring it. I'm not just saying this because they're a sponsor of the podcast. She was complaining about her neck by the end of the honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, that's how my fiance is too. She doesn't if she doesn't get a proper night's sleep, her back is a mess. So she's she pretty much brings it with her anywhere she can go as long as it's not on a plane. Your fiance, you mentioned Amy. Yep. You're getting married next summer. Next sounds, summer sounds like the wedding plans are coming along here. They are. She went wedding dress shopping this week. It's crazy. We just came up on a year from it from the wedding, and it seems like it's been forever. So now I know why everyone said, oh, two years is too long of a time. But it's been great for us because we've taken our time with the planning. It hasn't been stressful at all. So I'm loving that part of it for sure. Do we have a preview on the food yet? Have you met with the caterers? Yeah, that catering's whole thing? done. All I'm right. not going to give out the good All right, though. all right. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, let's dive right into this mailbag. Buff Predictor asked, what are you and Tyler looking forward to seeing slash hearing from the players and coaches at the start of camp? Well, because I like to be a pain in the ass, we're not going to be seeing anything. One one so, day, yeah. August third. Yeah, it's the probably without pads. <laughs> it will be. It's be doing some yeah. special teams walkthroughs. 
Um, but what I'm looking forward to is just seeing the relationship between the new staff and the players. Obviously, we won't be able to see it for our own eyes, but we'll get some idea of the kind of schemes they're running offensively and what we can expect in terms of running pass mix and which guys are going to start pulling ahead of others. There's definitely a lot of competition and battles out there that we have yet to, you know, there's a lot of guys that we don't know if they're going to be starting or not. So that's always exciting to kind of shake out those leaves from the tree. And even though usually at the beginning of camp, the depth art definitely changes quite a bit. So we'll see how it goes. If I'm a Colorado fan, I'm going to buffstampede.com every day with my fingers crossed, hoping that I'm not reading about injuries on the defensive side of the ball. For sure. That's my biggest worry about this football team, and it's not even close. Offense, you got depth. Yeah, if Steven Montez goes down, that's a big deal. LaVisca Chanel, that's a big deal. But you've got depth in some spots offensively. Defensively, I mean, some of these guys, newcomers could emerge at inside linebacker, at safety on the D-line. But yeah. at this point, sitting here right before camp, uh, that, that's my biggest, my biggest worry. Yeah, definitely. I think um, the best part about fall camp is definitely that, you know, everybody's like, oh, this is what the team looks like in spring ball. And you forget there's like 20 kids who aren't even on yeah. the team yet. And even some Juco guys who are going to make immediate impacts. Sometimes it just takes adding three or four guys to really change how your program looks. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how things shake out now that everybody will be on campus. And what's tough, too, is Mel Tucker, what does he pre- preach every day? Physical, physical, physical. Right. How are you going to be a physical football team if you're not physical in camp? <laughs> yeah. But you're going to get injuries if you do that. You saw uh, the defensive line was a mash unit with the few guys they had by the end of spring ball. So mm. it's a tough balance. I would say one thing uh, to steal Tad Boyle's mantra with the media, keep it real. I like how Mel Tucker, when they had that bad practice on a Monday, he, he came and mm-hmm. told it to us. You know, I, I think that is, is what I hope, at least from a media standpoint, uh, to, to hear throughout camp. And you keep hearing from players that this summer is so much more difficult. And, yeah, the proof is in the pudding. We'll see when they get out there against CSU. But you just want to continue to hear the players talk about how much more is being demanded of them with, with this staff. Nippus13 asked, Adam, what made you put Jaron Mangum as the favorite to be the starting running back in 2019? First off, I don't think there's a ton separating Alex Fontenot, Deion Smith, Jaron Mangum. Uh, I ran that feature on buffstampede.com with just my personal odds for these some of these position battles, and there wasn't a whole lot separating Jaron Mangum and Alex Fontenot on that. They were pretty much 1A, 1B. I just continue to hear that Jaron Mangum is a dog and that this means a lot to him. I'm not saying it doesn't mean a lot to Alex Fontenot, but we have not seen him have an amazing work ethic quite yet in his career. Great athlete, explosive. He's going to be out there this year. Mel Tucker said again at Pac-12 Media Day that they are going to rotate running backs. This is not going to be a feature back situation. So at the end of the day, I don't know how much it really matters, but you liked what you saw when Mangum in his first spring game. Yeah, there were some breakdowns defensively that let him have some of those big runs, but I, I just feel really good about him. Yeah, I mean, listen, yes, there are breakdowns on those plays, but I think the one, really what I took away from it is he has enough speed. That was my concern coming in. Is he going to have enough speed to really break away at this level? And he definitely showed that, uh, regardless of whether or not he got touched or not. That's That's really all I wanted to see. Yeah, I think there are probably three running backs who have a chance to get time. Now, if one explodes, you know, we might see them get a bulk of the carries as this season goes on. But, yeah, 
it wouldn't surprise me at all if Jaron Mangum was the was the bell cow. It wouldn't surprise me if Deion Smith wasn't. It wouldn't surprise me if Alex Fontenot was either. So we'll have to see how it plays out. But I think you have to like the mix of talent there and that the cream will rise to the top and somebody will, you know, are they going to be Phil Lindsay? Probably not, at least not in year one. But I think you have to feel good that as long as the offensive line improves, the running backs will have a solid season. Of course, coaches are in spring ball going to talk positively about their group in, in most cases. But to me, the thing that really told me this staff truly likes what they have in that running back room is the fact that they've made a decision. They probably won't take a running back this recruiting class. Right, yeah, They sure. went through 15 spring practices and they didn't like what they saw. They're going to make a, a strong run at a running back in this 2020 class. Yeah, especially in the JUCO ranks. I mean, obviously there's not a ton of availability there. But, yeah, I mean, if they didn't like the room, they'd probably be going after a JUCO running back for sure. Patilak, do I pronounce that right? Patilak, 13, asked. Padillac, it's like Padillac. Cadillac. I don't know. Padillac, I'm 13. Just I, that, that rolls off the tongue a lot better. We'll go with that. <laughs> Padillac, 13, asked. It sounds like we are aiming for a more even run-slash-pass offense. Given the depth at receiver and youth at running back, how do you think the offense will look in terms of run-pass percentages? What do you think? 50-50? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, even even the most explosive passing offense is probably, you know, it's like 70-30, you know, so it's it's not like a drastic difference in percentage um, for most teams around the country. I would, you know, usually the best teams have a little bit more balance. Um, you don't like to see three-yard outs to LaVisca Chenault act as your running game. You know, that's not what you want to have to rely on. You want to be able to get third and two and feel confident that you can do that. And last year, I don't think any of us were confident that that was going to happen unless LaVisca was running Wildcat, which we we need to improve on that, obviously. So I'd like to see the running game be more involved. If you talk to Mel Tucker for five minutes, I think the assumption is that the running game will be more involved. But ultimately, he's you know coaching for his job. And if the offensive line can't block somebody, they're going to have to adjust. But for now, yes, I think his goal is we're going to line up and we're going to smash people if we can. And yes, there is a lot of depth at receiver. A guy like Murray Spell might just have to wait around for another year. You you know, LaVisca Chenault's going to the NFL. Tony Brown's a senior. So there's going to be opportunities for those guys there. And some of those guys can play on special teams as well. So it's not like that talent's just going to be completely... Right, yeah. I don't know if Murray Spell will, but Daniel Arias will certainly be on special teams. Yeah. Padillac 13 also asked, do you expect the offense to stay up-tempo or do you think it will be more methodical with clock management? I actually asked Mel Tucker this question and he said that they're going to vary their tempo and the reason is, again, he's a defensive mind. It's what is hardest for a defense to prepare for. If you know a team is going to go up-tempo all the time, you spend all week preparing for that. When you don't know when they're going to go up tempo or slow it down, it makes it a little bit more difficult. Yeah, I think it's people always forget going up tempo only works if it works. You know, if you, your defense has to play at altitude as well. So if you're going three and out four straight times with up tempo, guess what? You're going to give up touchdowns. So there's part of that too. Um, it, it was, I liked hearing that from him because he obviously comes from the SEC where they do more up tempo stuff now, uh, but it's definitely not the style of play necessarily down there. Um, so he knows that he has to mold his himself a little bit in his philosophies to where he's at now. And obviously to take advantage of the altitude, because you're going to be more used to it than your opponent. 
But yeah, I, I think at times we got hurt by it last year because we were trying to go so fast. And I can re- recall a couple games where we had three or four straight three and outs, and all of a sudden the defense is gassed, giving up long plays. That can get you hurt too. We got one more question from Padillac13. Do you think our defense will be more aggressive in 2020? I would like to think so. <laughs> Couldn't get much less aggressive. Listen, I don't want to harp on it. They were honestly better than I probably expected each of the last two years under DJ Elliott. Um, he was probably working a little bit with the talent that he had. It's a lot easier to be aggressive when Cheeto and Akella Witherspoon are your two cornerbacks. And Jimmy Gilbert. Right, yeah, and Jimmy Gilbert is coming off the edge. So it's personnel as well, and we're going to have to see if that if our personnel allows for it. But, yes, I mean, I do think ultimately the more havoc that you can wreak in uh, in the opponent's backfield better the results dr10 asked how much of a learning curve will there be with a new offense under jay johnson and a new defense under tyson summers there's definitely going to be more of a learning curve because we hear from both sides of the ball that so much more is being put on them and they're not going to just run what they're going to run they're going to base a lot of it off the look of the other side of the ball that's especially with a new staff coming in, new terminology, that's a really steep learning curve. That's probably my biggest concern with being multiple and on both sides of the ball. Definitely. I mean, you're going to see mistakes made, probably especially early in the year, that are going to hurt the team. You know, that's just reality. Uh, Most of the guys aren't 100% going to learn this language and feel comfortable with it by the time the season starts. It's part of the downside of coaching changes and terminology being changed for these guys. We'll just have to see. I mean, and hopefully the benefits outweigh the risks. Wyo Buff asked, can you talk about what you expect to see in the defensive line rotation? Will it be a mix of three and four down linemen? And in the case of four, who is the fourth? Yes, it will be a mix of that. And I think at times you're going to see, like you saw in the spring game, an outside linebacker putting his hand in the ground to to be that fourth. Yeah, Changum and Carson Wells, both guys that are probably going to be in that position more often than not just because of their size. I mean, Changum obviously is not very tall, but in terms of, you know, he's a strong dude. He's got leverage, so he's going to be able to put his hand in the dirt a little bit probably for them. And follow, I like him actually in that role better than a traditional outside linebacker. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's a big guy too, and he's had success in that role a little bit. He's, you know, he has his hand in the dirt on special teams at times, too. So he's he knows how to get physical with guys who are bigger than him. So, yeah, I think they have three guys probably that you feel comfortable. I mean, I always go back to Ryan Miller having to try to play that role at times for CU and love the kid, his heart and everything. But, I mean, you know, if you get if a lineman gets your hands on you at that size, it's pretty much over. Yeah. And it is, in terms of the defense alignment, yeah, you have a Jalen Sammy that's kind of a prototypical nose, but you've seen the, some of the recruits – especially the JUCO guys, they like versatility within the defense alignment that yeah. they've been recruiting. So they have kind of – tweener's not the right word, but the size to be able to play inside and outside. Uh, and you can see them putting a premium on that on the recruiting trail. Andrew S. Buff, one asked, this is Montez's curtain call year. Does he sizzle or fizzle? Just keep it simple and don't justify your answer. Just sizzle or fizzle. Sizzle. Yeah, I mean it's no. You can't camp, camp hasn't well. Camp hasn't started yet. You got to be optimistic, right? Sizzle. Hog eleven asked, <laughs> "How much of the offense and defense was installed in the spring? 
How will they get the many new faces on defense up to speed in fall camp? What do you expect to be Mel Tucker's approach on special teams? Thanks. I don't know the percentage. I think they it was more getting the base right. offense and defense in there, and yep. then you, you add from there. Especially with so many new faces coming in this summer, uh, you're gonna have to would have to reteach a lot of stuff anyway. I think people kind of over they they overthink about the terminology changes and the scheme changes. Like at its base, football is football. So if you can get that stuff in. You'll be good to go. Now, there's variations, obviously, from that, but they're going to work on that stuff first and work out. You know, yeah. this is what this is the base of what we do. This is this is how that can rotate based on what the offense is doing. They're going to work on that base first. If you don't have a solid base, you're going to fall over. And in spring ball, they're they're in class, and it's more about I think was setting expectations and then evaluating the guys camp yeah there's a little bit of summer school at the beginning but you go full into football for a couple of good weeks where you don't have those other dis- distractions and so that's when you can really hone in on that they don't have you know the two days like they used to but they run through a practice in the morning and they go through a walkthrough every day mm-hmm. so uh, that's when you, you get those new faces on defense up to speed as well as the returning guys in terms of special teams Mel Tucker the comments he's made on that are just that he wants it to be a a smart football team and you know frankly at times on special teams it's for a lot of years at CU there's been a lot of head scratching stuff that's happened <laughs> yeah I mean on the offensive side yes certainly well on special teams too I mean yeah. no I mean like returns I guess is what I'm trying to say yeah. rather, rather than special teams defense yeah I hope honestly I hope his mindset is he puts on tape of Nate Lamon and he puts on tape of Bo Bichirette and he says I, I expect you to attack people you know that's what you want to see when you're covering kicks and punts. Yeah, and then obviously penalties are especially big on special teams. you got to avoid that kind of stuff. So uh, the return game, it'll be interesting. I, it, there's only so much strategy in today's college football in regards to that because it's so hard now to be explosive in the return game. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's, his general approach is you're going to be fast and physical, and special teams is definitely a way to show to that. I want to see the anti-Ronnie Blackman as your punt returner. Yeah. Just catch the ball. Yeah. Get your offense out there. Just don't do anything stupid. Yep. Cree Buzz asked, The player bios on cubuffs.com suggested that Will Sherman might start at left tackle, a position many of us thought would go to grad transfer Arlington Hambright. Once fall camp starts, do you expect Sherman at left tackle, or will he rotate at right tackle? While we're on the subject, predict your starting five on the offensive line for game one, against CSU. I don't know about the whole bio thing. I think that's probably just because Will Sherman was at left tackle this spring. I don't know this, but I'd imagine they try them both on both sides and just see yeah. where they're best at. Yeah, it's it's been a little bit interesting to – I feel like well, they obviously brought in that Juco guard and said, oh, he'll start right away, and now we haven't heard anything about him in a while. I don't, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. Tofu yeah. Salveo. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Thank you. Um, and Hambright, you know, we haven't hot, we haven't seen any, so we don't know exactly how it's going to go. That's I mean, different, though. He started yeah. for Oklahoma State last year. Right. Yeah. For most of his career. So I think you would have to assume he's going to be a starter. Reading through all the, you know, Cap is trying to keep the position battles open, but reading between the tea leaves, it seems like Hambright, Sherman, Lynott, and Purcell, it would be a major upset if any of those four guys right. weren't on the starting line. That's how I see it right now. The fifth spot, 
seems like pretty up in the air. You know, there's going to be two or three guys that are in that mix there. I know it seems like you're probably leaning towards Roddick right now as the guy you would Very, like to close, see. It's close, though, because Kerry yeah. Cush and Jack Shutek got a lot of reps with the ones as well. Yeah. Um, and Saveo, you don't know. I mean, it's a big jump to go from Juco yeah. to this level. He could make another jump. He's a, mm-hmm. a physical guy. He could make a jump. I, I put the odds on him pretty low. But yeah, those it other seems three like, guys, you know, obviously Moretti is hasn't been discussed much, so you probably throw him well, out of hurt. the mix for yeah. now. Yeah. You know, just long term. I just hope that he's healthy in life, and if we get anything above that, that's cool. Um, so yeah, that. I guess basically we're going to presume it's probably one of the guard spots is available, and everything else. It seems pretty locked up, even though he's trying not to say that for now. If you put a gun to my head, I guess I would pick Roddick just because of his size and this staff wanting to have a lot of beef up front. And one guy we do have to mention is Frank Phillip. He has put on some good weight since spring ball. He's you know, fully dedicated now to this coaching staff. I don't expect him to start over Hambright or Sherman, but you're going to need a third guy in there at some point this season, so it's been encouraging yeah, to hear probably. that he's had a good summer. Yeah. Blue Sky Buff asked, what is your definition of a successful first and second season under Coach Tucker? I like this because it's it's not tied to a win-loss. You can kind of go different ways with this. Oh, I mean, yeah. It's – listen. It's – this is going to sound so lame. But I think you basically just have to avoid the Embry disaster. You know, like obviously you want to see improvement, but it can't be that total epic collapse and failure it that won't we saw. Be. It won't be. But that's what you have to avoid. Um, it's going to take a little bit of time. We're totally changing the style of play that we want to have. Um, recruiting takes a couple years. Most of these kids don't play as freshmen. The schedule this year does them no favors. So is it possible that they make a bowl game this year? Yeah, for sure it is. I think they have the talent to do that, definitely. But if they go 5-7 and seven and 5-7, and seven, is the world going to be collapsing? Probably not, um, as long as there's – you know, upward trajectory. You're for just year de- three. depressing the CU fan base, right? Probably. Now, Tyler. I guess I don't know. I've watched a lot of bad football in my life, so I try not to. In two years, if you have, if I've made a solid determination that you need to be done, you're really awful. <laughs> you know, like again with everything, like that was. It was clear that that was not going to work. It just wasn't going to work, and I don't think we'll put ourselves in that position. But yeah, obviously, what you would like to see is measured improvement each year can they get to six and six this year can they get to seven and five or eight and four next year and if you start to build those momentum climb the ladder you know that's when you can start to say okay you know the recruiting is improving everything is improving we have nfl talent now can we start to look at winning the division consistently can we start to look at winning the conference consistently where it doesn't set up well you mentioned the schedule you're implementing New offenses, new defenses, right. that's tough. But yet this first year, you have a fifth-year senior quarterback, and you've got a, a legit Bolitnikoff yeah. Award candidate. Next year, the guys will have another whole year in the system, the returning guys, but you're going to have a fresh quarterback, and you're not going to have that. I mean, guys can emerge, don't get me wrong, but you're not going to have that surefire first-day NFL draft pick on offense. So Right. It's yeah, tough. I mean, it's we'll, not. We'll see if Landman and Mustafa Johnson are back. I mean, obviously Mustafa's size, well, he won't be around one pick, but Nate certainly could be, uh, potentially. So 
there's there he, he got he let's just say he walked into some pieces and it yeah. would be nice to see him find a way to use those and uh, breed some success aside from wins and losses does Mel Tucker really instill discipline that actually shows up on the field is this a smarter football team are they really more physical are they less predictable on both sides of the ball are they able to be flexible in terms of adjusting to the other team the things that Mel Tucker says he wants this program to be is this stuff we actually see happen mm. Um, yeah, yeah, because you don't want it kind of like the, with the McIntyre thing, where we he said a lot of the right things when he first got here too, but then we didn't see him follow through on a lot of what he said. And the same could be said about Hawkins. You know, he's doing all the right things now, but if on the field he proves to be the opposite of that, well, people are going to sour on him pretty quick. And I, I don't expect this to be the case, but right, for he sure. says this is a no excuses program, and then they lose four games, and we're talking about excuses again. I don't think that's in Mel Tucker's yeah, DNA. Injured, I don't think we're going to talk about injuries, <laughs> right? To our third-string wide receivers, be like, ah, we need the depth. So, yeah. Even in the tough times, can can he continue to be a great ambassador for for CU football? So, Mountain Buff 7 asked, is the Arlington Hambright hype justified? Okie State isn't world beaters, and he didn't even start his whole senior season. Well, he's, yeah, that doesn't make sense. He was hurt, right? He was hurt, that's why he. And and not a senior. And also, Oklahoma State's pretty damn good. (laughs) If so, if memory if memory serves, he started the first seven games, got hurt, came back in the bowl game, and was kind of a co-starter in that game. Rotated, uh, but he was coming back from an injury. Um, so, uh, what was the rest of his question here? Are we hanging our hopes on an overrated tackle, or does his film justify the hype? Is he a guaranteed starter? We talked a little bit about this, but again, yeah, the premise there is he would have started the whole season at Oklahoma State had he stayed healthy. Um, I mean, in terms of I don't know if there's a ton of hype. It's CU fans are pretty excited about him, but you don't talk yeah, to I think people the hype outside is, of it can't be worse. <laughs> so I feel like that's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that answers that question better than than I can <laughs> as if I tried to continue here. LA Buff asked, "What are your thoughts on the defensive line recruiting? How many do you think we will take?" In terms of numbers, they have nine scholarship defensive linemen. Unfortunately, none of them are seniors. Mustafa Johnson has had a little draft buzz. Can we, since you brought it up, can we just discuss that? I feel yes. like it's, we, this happens in basketball all the time too. He's a fantastic college player. He's not even six feet tall. Like I just can't imagine that reality allowing him to leave for the NFL early. Do you agree with that? I would put odds on him returning for a senior season somewhere around 80 to 85%. Right. Okay. He is, he does have long arms, big hands that help him in being shorter. You have that leverage. Uh, there's shorter guys that have had success in the NFL, but uh, mostly at tackle though. Yeah. I don't expect it to happen. Yeah. But he is one of those guys though, that is just so much better than you think he's going right. to be. Based on on his height, yeah, I mean, and standing of. next to him in regular clothes, like it's like this dude is a dominant defensive end in Pac-12 football. It's kind of crazy. He is. He, he is. One hundred percent. He is. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think when it comes to combines and scouts actually like talking to him, I just, it's you know David Bakhtiari had success leaving early and being a mid round pick, so it does happen. But and he was not a physical specimen, right? But. I, it see it would be a weird decision, I think, for him because he's not going to be a first or second round pick probably if he leaves early, even if he has a huge year, just because of the limitations. I mean, look what happened to Phil Lindsay. 
That's how the NFL evaluates its players. Doesn't matter how good you are, you're small, is what a lot of people are going to say. So, I mean, you know, would it be awesome if he proved me wrong? Absolutely, it would. But I, I see him mostly returning. Got to follow the David Bakhtiari training plan of chugging <laughs> two beers, right? Beers, yeah. <laughs> um, so, da da da. How many will they take? I'd say they have one verbal commitment for 2020 right now. I'd say maybe four. And now also you got to throw in there, if these newcomers don't show up and show they're at least Pac-12 caliber, then you got that number has to go up. Yeah, I think that's almost the nice thing about JUCO guys is it does seem like if they don't come in and make an impact right away, for the most part they fizzle out. You don't see too many junior college guys who it's like, oh, we'll take a chance on him and keep him back for a year too, so. We'll have to see. I, w- I will say it, it does highlight we talk a lot about how it doesn't matter. It wasn't just McIntyre. De- defensive line recruiting is really hard. There just aren't that many bodies that are athletic enough to play defensive line in the world, um, especially in our part of the country. So, you know, they're they're having more success for sure. But, I mean, it's, it's going to take a while, if ever, for them to get four-star defensive tackles here on a consistent basis. That said, going to be a little bit disappointed, Right. Yeah, so far, probably. But I mean, it just is hard. I mean, I think I've 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 fought this argument so many times that my expectations for it are kind of low. So it's disappointing because I would like to be proven wrong, obviously. Yeah. But it is just it is so hard. It is it is so difficult, and that's why Utah's picked to win the South right now because 100%. they have that Polynesian in their yep uh, community in their backyard, and. They got studs. I mean, they have four NFL players on their defensive line. Yep. That's what separates Utah from Colorado. Yeah. Well, yeah. Programs. Mostly, yeah. DPU Buff asked, would love to know about the defensive line progress. Who benefited the most from summer strength and conditioning? Who should we expect to see contribute right away from the incoming players? Thank you. So one thing, I call this the Keenan Canty factor. When, Interesting. Yes. I'm intrigued now. <laughs> <laughs> when Keenan Canty came in, and uh, unless you've been a – that's probably, what, 10 years ago-ish? Yeah. He came in, and we heard on 7 on 7s, Keenan Canty oh, yeah. was amazing. Okay. He was just going to light the world on fire. Unguardable. Unguardable. They put the pads on. How much do we hear of Keenan Canty? And I'm, I feel bad. I don't mean to pick him out. He's a good kid, and he actually played a little bit. but Spring game swagger. You know – when I hear things in the summer now, I kind of go, hmm, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm yeah, going we to go ahead and wait and see what actually happens when yeah. the, the pads go on. Kyle Evans, too, could be thrown into this mix as a guy yeah. who, you know. And it's not it's nothing against them. They, they didn't ask for that. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, they're just out doing their thing. But, yeah, I mean, Keenan Canny was like 150 pounds. I think it, was, it seemed kind of obvious that as soon as the pads came on, it would be a little more difficult yeah. for him to yeah. take over. Drew Wilson did tell me that Austin Williams – I'm actually going to quote him here. He said, Austin Williams is already a thick, strong dude that you just look at and go, that dude is going to be special by the time he leaves here. I will say, I mean, the defensive line picture that has come out a couple different – there's some dudes that we have not seen at a, in a Colorado football uniform in a while. <laughs> like dudes that are wider than they are tall. And Austin, yeah, Austin Williams wasn't good. even highly regarded, but right. I know CSU was beyond pissed that they lost him to see you. Uh, so I'm anxious to see him. I, again, it, I'm tempering all my expectations until uh, we see what happens yeah. at least two weeks into I mean, camp. I, 
not to downplay because being a defensive lineman is obviously very difficult and it's very hard, but it is true to some degree that if you take enough bodies that are big enough to sustain themselves at that position, you're going to find enough talent. You know, if you take a lot of guys who are undersized and you have to develop them all to get to this level, you might have a couple that explode. I mean, to, you know, go to a different position, but Nate Solder fits that mold, right? I mean, you, you can have a guy who's a first round pick, someone else that no one else saw, but it would be, it's a lot easier to mold guys that are already, you already have enough clay. It becomes difficult. A clay analogy. I like, I know. I, I don't know where that came from, but it worked. <laughs> Why Buff asked, is Dante Spiracco eligible this season? I thought there was a walk on transfer waiver. To answer the question, no, Dante Spiracco has to sit out this year and from what I hear, if he was eligible, he actually could be a guy that, that could give them some reps this year. The reason you don't give a walk-on transfer waiver, you know what the SEC programs would be doing <laughs> yeah. that have yeah. boosters out yeah. there? like Walk-ons, walk-ons quotations. Yes. <laughs> that would be a bad rule for college football. <laughs> yes, it would. So uh, just out of curiosity, because we've had this conversation about 4,000 times in previous regime, what position is Dante Spiracco going to play for the Colorado Buffaloes? Tyler, I'm I'm excited about this. He's finally put his hand in the ground. Weird. This should have happened uh, his sophomore year of high school. I mean, I'll say, obviously there are other things going on with Dante Spiracco that make this whole situation a little bit difficult. But it is still one of the top five biggest jokes in sports history for me that Dante Spiracco is playing outside linebacker. I agree. Yeah, and he's going to have a chance, not this year again, because he's not eligible, but he is a guy we're going to be talking about next offseason going into 2020. And I can't say that I hope so because this has been such a roller. I mean, I do hope so, obviously, but it's been such a roller coaster. He's going to have to win me back. But I was definitely the conductor of the Dante Spiracco hype train for a while there. B to the Uffs asked, how will Mel Tucker and staff handle official visits during the season? Unlike the previous staff, will they have big recruiting weekends for SC, UW, etc.? You are going to see a willingness to bring recruits out on official visits more on game days than McIntyre. Because McIntyre, he did it begrudgingly if they had to with recruits. And it's not a horrible strategy. He didn't like the fact that they're so busy with game planning yeah. that you don't get to spend enough time and really develop that relationship with these recruits, but now because of how accelerated the recruiting calendar has gotten, you look at CU, they have 15 verbal commitments and most of those guys have already taken their official visit. So mm. you're not going to see the numbers. You'll see certainly unofficial visitors. I know the Nebraska game is going to be a big weekend for them bringing guys out, but you can only bring a guy out on an official one time. So the numbers of official visits in the fall might not be huge. Yeah. And I don't want to throw McIntyre under the bus for this because this is a national trend. There are a lot of programs that don't bring out guys much during the season now because they do want to have that extra time with them. So it's, it wasn't just him. Um, I, I think it's a weird balance because the, the game day atmosphere, I think, can definitely sell a kid on a program. Now, I will say this. If everybody has a game day atmosphere and they are coming to Boulder with a game day atmosphere, we need to be better than we have been. You know, I'm going to be honest. If you go to Wisconsin – and then you go to Colorado, nine out of those ten kids are going to say, wow, the game day atmosphere was at Wisconsin was top-notch, you know? So that's part of it, too. And as we get better, you know, Folsom was a lot of fun for a couple years in there when I was in college, and the, the crowds were crazy. But at the end of the day, it's just not as much of a 
you know they they don't they don't care about that as much anymore. They want that personal relationship with the coaches. They want to be brought around. There's got to be more time spent with these kids. Well, to play devil's advocate there, Tyler, if you are going to recruit, recruit in the South, you bring a kid out in September on a game day, it's going to be gorgeous right. most of the time. Mm-hmm. You bring them out in December or January, it's a crapshoot. It's tough from a weather standpoint. You can't predict that. Yeah, but that's the, you have the summer. I mean, so the weather aspect, you know, the game day atmosphere is cool, but this, I mean, obviously it's beautiful in July too. Yeah. All right, let's move along. HR Buff asked, any update on Valentin Sen? How's he looking? Again, I don't put too much stock, but I heard that he arrived. Good frame. I mean, coming from Austria, even though he showed some nice things out at the Under Armour All-American camp, we're pleasantly surprised with. He wasn't as raw as we thought he was going to be out there, but, I mean, come on, it's still going to take some time. I say this without being disrespectful at all, but I forgot about Valentin Sen existing. That is disrespectful. He's just like he's going to take him a while. Yeah, you know, like it just seems like there's he, we won't hear about him this year because it's. I mean, it's even most linemen it takes at least a year, anyways. For him, it'll probably take two. And forget about football. His, he's got to learn about American culture yeah, coming over here. Too. I don't know how good his English is. Let's just talk to him. Probably hope uh, this isn't a. And it's Sebastian Olver actually was in high school. In Why'd California. you have to bring that up? But let, let's just hope we don't have a situation <laughs> like that. That was that was brutal. A lot of fun that one. Is, is he at CSU now? Did no, he was only there for a few weeks. Oh, weird. Yeah. Shocking news. Was it before or after CSU that he was at some school in Canada? Uh, I don't know. I thought that was before. What, what's What's been a stranger trajectory? Oh, my. Are you going to ask me, Sparago? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sebastian I would, I would not Sparago. recommend either of them. Let's go with that approach. Oh. Dante Sparrock is a great kid, too. I need to stop with this. SVD Buff asked, any word on open practices open to the media? I mentioned there's going to be just one open practice on Saturday, August 3rd in Folsom Field. Gates will open at 8 a.m. with the practice scheduled to start around 8.50 for a two-and-a-half-hour practice. A post-practice autograph and meet-the-team session will take place as well. Come on, man. Don't you get to go to all of them? I get to. Not you, him. Yeah, I don't know how that works. Yeah, I don't know. I think some he could be our inside scoop man. Let's let's yeah, we get him in trouble. We don't want to do that. No, we won't say anything about it. I just want to know. Okay, just kidding. Jay Benny thirty three asked, "What new additions, being Frosh, JUCO, or transfer, come in and make the biggest impact immediately on each side of the ball?" There's one obvious name from the true freshman class, Mark Perry. Oh, I was going to say Jaron Mangum, too. Okay. Or, I, mean, I guess it's less obvious for sure. Oh, but... I, I was thinking, yeah, because he was here this spring. I was kind of thinking of guys that just came this summer. Gotcha. Uh, but Drew Wilson said that, this is a quote here, Mark came in a very mature young man, and he's physically ready. He is almost 200 pounds as a freshman coming in. That's what you wanted to hear. Yeah. And dude has wheels. Yeah. he's. I'm excited about him. I think I had him as my highest-ranked kid in the class. You did? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so obviously I'll be keeping a close eye on him. I, I think he has a chance to be special, and obviously it helps that he's at a position of immediate need too. That that almost sometimes matters more than how talented the kid is. I mean, because you're bring, we're bringing in wide receivers every year that are honestly probably in the top five or seven guys in each class, but the chances of them playing are basically nothing because of the guys in front of them. So 
yeah, I mean, we'll have to see. It's There's always one crazy surprise. Like, I feel like every single class, like the second or third best kid plays, and then also Rodney Stewart plays. So <laughs> you never know how like it's going to Like Mustafa Johnson was that right, guy last exactly. year. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's there's always that guy. So I'd be curious to see who it is this year. And it sounds like maybe Austin Williams is, is maybe. that person. You know, Janaz Jordan, I'm anxious to see him. Big body. It was an academic thing with him. He actually had a Virginia Tech offer coming out of high school. And you watch his high school film, and he was playing running back at over 300 pounds. It's we pretty impressive. We stood next to him at one of those camps, and he is decidedly not small. <laughs> well, did any of those other guys – Stand out from a physicalist. All of them, dude. They're yeah. all huge. I mean, I, I, honestly, I don't know what enough of them look like to say who a lot of them were for sure. All I know is that one of those dudes I mistook for uh, Javier Edwards, which means you're not small. <laughs> <laughs> and I forget who it was. If Chase listens to the pot, he can tell us who it was that I mistook him for, but I forget. Wet the Beak 34 asked, How concerning is the lack of corner depth? Is that the biggest area of concern? If not, what position would be? Oh, this question is so easy. It's the same as every year. The offensive line is the most concerning. If we have a good offensive line, we'll win eight games. And that's how it is most years because I feel like we're pretty solid at every other situation. If the offensive line is good, we have talent on the offensive side of the ball and we can get to work. In terms of corner depth, that, that's tough to answer because wherever injuries pile up on defense, aside from maybe outside linebacker, that's probably where your concern would immediately be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's Devil Gabrams Jr. and Mikai Blackman and Chris Miller, if two of those three guys stay healthy, then you're just fine. In fact, you have a really good group there. I feel like it's a position that doesn't normally have a lot of injuries. Now, that's obviously – last year it was a disaster. Everybody was hurt the whole season. So – you never know how that plays out, but yeah, I mean, if two or three bad things happen in in that room, it's going to be ugly. But the chances of that happening, I mean, who knows? Wild Buff asked, which freshman corner will step up and be in the mix, or does Uriah Hudson have the talent to be that guy? Beyond Mackay, Abrams, and Miller, how many guys do we need to be ready to play? Probably two more. Well, then, if it's not Uriah Hudson, a walk-on, then it has to be KJ Trujillo and DJ Oates because unless I'm forgetting somebody, those are the only two other scholarship guys in yeah. that position, which, again, is alarming. Um, you only have 85 scholarships, and you got to get that number down. And they, they oversigned. You know, it's, it's tough. You can't – you're going to be not deep at some spot on your roster every year, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely how it goes. I don't know if they're cross-training any of the safety guys to play emergency corner. We'll have to see how all that goes. But, yeah, I mean. I could see Mark Perry potentially yeah, I mean, doing that. Or maybe Darian Rakestraw. I'm not sure. I know he was he, doing, he was he doing like, some he, DB stuff. I don't stuff. think that worked out all that well for him. Well, yeah, I mean, again, of the options, none of them are going to work <laughs> right, out right, well. Right. <laughs> so you're probably going to have to have an emergency guy. But, yeah, I mean, I think both the freshmen are going to have to be somewhat ready to play. I mean, Tariq Luckett is – Possibly playing DB too. Possibly. Um, I mean, could Dimitri Stanley do it in like an emergency role? Maybe. Yeah, absolutely. You obviously don't want that to happen. That's a good point to make. You know, he's really talented. You know, if you know, because Jalen Jackson could step in there. It's if you get to that point where, you know, we're playing your Ryan Hudson. Maybe you look at that. Yeah. Wet the beak. Thirty-four also asked, "Who would be returning punts on special teams?" 
you just mentioned him, Dimitri Stanley, I think is the yeah, front I mean, runner he's, there. He's pretty electric, so I'd be surprised if it wasn't him. Um, again, even having kickoff returners is kind of a waste of time at this point. Like I feel, I'm always back there, and I'm like, all right, this is going to be the one where we bring it all the way back, and then I'm going, I'm hyped if they get it to the thirty. You know, it's just not the same excitement as it used to be just because of the rule changes. But I would assume KD is probably going to be back there again, right? Probably. They yeah. didn't do, I believe, any kickoff returning during spring ball. Uh, a couple of other guys I would think maybe Jalen Jackson, Maurice Bell. Yeah, Jalen was the other guy last year, right? I think Ronnie Blackman was the other guy. It was him and KD. Yeah, you could again. To your point that yeah, there's yeah. not a lot of memorable. I can only. I mean, well, how many kickoff returns did we have? Probably I'd have like, to look at probably up. like ten. I'd have to look it up. You know, yeah. Puerto Rico buff asked, "Do you think any walk-ons will get a scholarship? Who? Uh, the guy that I think was most likely. Well, you had Davis Price was on scholarship last year. That was a one-year deal. If he is your kickoff guy, maybe there, but. The one we mentioned him um, when we're asked about possibilities on the offensive line, Jack Shutak. Right. Uh, if he's really in the mix for a starting job, mm-hmm. even if he's a backup, you know, it's probably between those two guys. I would have to think right now. One other guy that new defensive line coach Jimmy Brumbaugh spoke well of was Nico Magri, a sophomore walk-on defensive lineman this spring. So uh, another name just to throw yeah, out he, there. He seems like a guy who maybe has a senior. You know, they, those seniors seem to get them most often like the just so it's one year um and is davis a senior he is yep and is shootack senior he's not right he's an upperclassman yeah i think he might be a junior what about uh, santino marshall wow that was uh i'm just bringing up things i shouldn't on on this podcast yeah, I mean, i'm not gonna say i told you so because i don't want to be right about things like that but usually kids people who are still kids who make really dumb decisions on a consistent basis continue to do so you just thought, I, well, well, well i hope he as an adult matures and learns from all this kind of stuff but like dude this is it's bad look it's a bad the, look he's done now what happened at arizona though was so public that you thought as a human being you would look in the mirror and go i can never do anything like that again and you would think that would be a wake-up call right but yeah, it wasn't, and uh, yeah, so that that journey has ended. Cree Buzz asked, "Flash forward to the year 2024 when Grant of Right expires. You are the CU athletic director. If the Pac-12 is still struggling with distribution and payouts relative to other conferences, would you make the jump to the Big Ten or back to the Big 12 for an extra 15 million per year if either came calling?" Yeah, I would certainly consider it. I, I will say we're going to have to be a lot better. I can't see us being at the top of anyone's list right now. Um, You know, like there's a lot of other things about CU that make it interesting and intriguing to other conferences, I'm sure, including academics and the location. Obviously you're going to extend your TV market with us, but at the end of the day, you got to be competitive. And I think we have a chance to get there for sure. But I mean, you look at, you know, this is going to sound like it's talking shit and it is, I guess, but CSU felt like they had a chance to, get their hat into the ring a little bit there and they probably did except they started sucking you know if they were winning nine or ten games every year they would be a lot more on the radar for that kind of stuff it's just reality my problem though with the big 12 specifically it's still the 
distribution within the conference, even if it's 15 million, you're still Texas is still right. making a lot more money than you. It's going to it's hard from a competitive standpoint. I would be pretty surprised if they considered the Big 12, but I wouldn't be that surprised if they considered any of the other leagues. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the likelihood of that happening is, what, 2%? Yeah, probably not even that, you know? I mean, if you think of the Big Ten's looking to expand, is CU on your top three? Come on. Tyler, how does Larry Scott still have a job? You know, I wish that I could say this just about Larry Scott, but I can say this about a lot of people in the world, and the older I get, I start to realize that most people are comically terrible at what they do and don't give one little S-H-I-T about what they do. So I wish I could explain it to you, but I cannot. Well, that was my mailbag question to you. Thanks for entertaining me there. D.A.B. Buff asked, where do you see six or more possible wins to get to a bowl game? What would you put as the probability for a bowl appearance this season? Fired up. Let's see if I agree with you. So the one thing that I hate is doing, you put a schedule on the board. And and people can do this. It doesn't bother me, but me doing it personally I don't like doing that win loss. Yeah, because it always makes you look go, go bad. back. Go back to 2016. Yeah, it always makes you look bad. I mean, even if the results are 10 and two and you were correct at 10 and two, you probably got four games wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> Especially when we talked about the South, so many teams having question marks, but right. so many teams that could be better than we think as mm-hmm. well. So I can't do that with the schedule. Uh, do you want to do that? I mean, obviously yeah, I mean, CSU, can, Air Force. I mean, those right, are the yeah, obvious. Those are the, those are the two most obvious ones. I think CSU, you got to feel as like probably somewhere around a 90% chance to win that game. Air Force is probably somewhere in the 80% range, you know, even though they're tough to schedule for. I mean, almost all of your home games you have to feel like are maybe not 50-50, no matter who it is, but at least above 30%. Um, and that's how you start to figure out those wins, right? They all build up. So let's say you have one 70% chance and one thirty. The expectation is you're going to get one of those games. Stanford at home is certainly more winnable than it's been in years past. USC at home is more winnable than it has been in years past. Um, I mean, basically anybody in the South outside of Utah, I, I could see them winning that game. Um, you know, they to get to six is going to be – you're going to have to upset some people. I mean, I think I saw we were only favored to win two games so far. So you're going to have to upset a lot of people. But again, you got to find a way to win some home games. And Those maybe... are just outside expectations that mean nothing, though. Right? Yeah, and then you got to surprise somebody on the road. That's ultimately to get to six. They're going to have to beat someone they probably shouldn't on the road. I'm picking them to go six and six. So I would probably say my probability would be sixty forty. Are you the other way around? Are you? Yeah, I'll, I'll, my prediction will. I'll have to look. I mean, obviously, we're going to have to see them at camp. It's tough because I think they're they're going to be better than a lot of teams that make a bowl game this year. That I feel very confident of, talent-wise. Um, their schedule doesn't necessarily allow them to win six games. You That's let, the frustrating You thing. let it simmer in camp, and you give us your prediction at the end yeah. of it. Right now, if you if you put a gun to my head right now, five and seven would okay. be my answer. When we get asked this question again right before the season, Tyler, don't let me change my prediction. Don't let camp yeah, I do, I do feel like we always do that, and it, it, does, it just doesn't always tell you that much. It is kind of interesting. Padre Murph asked, is this the year we finally win in Los Angeles? That would be November 2nd at UCLA. 
have we have we not beaten UCLA there? there I there, thought we did. One there a couple time. close games. Uh, remember the game where uh, Cepho got hurt late. That was a I, game they should have won. I know they they've lost some real heartbreakers. I thought somewhere Montez in there we won a game they they had the road. drops in the end zone the last time they were out there. Yeah, um, that Cepho Lufau his first year starting when he just kept getting knocked down and. Mm-hmm. That was a memorable game, but I don't remember. And they've never beaten USC. So. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know that one. But that's obviously out here this year. Um, I mean, they have a good shot. I feel like no matter the, no matter how good either of those two teams are, the game is always very close, it seems like to me. Um, again, that's pro- probably their most likely road win. That's what I was going to say. If, if I'm picking them to go 6-6, six and six, then I should be consistent and probably say yes with this answer because yeah. it is one of their more winnable – games in in conference and i'm anxious to see how this chip kelly experiment continues to go you're just not hearing a lot of positive stuff out of there yeah and there i mean i haven't looked at their recruiting class in a while to be fair but i I don't recall seeing any buzz about anything they've been doing no they are really going with an old school approach to where they're still trying to get kids on campus before they offer them that doesn't work in 2019 these recruits are too entitled now and and you're not going to change them yeah, you might end up getting some more blue chip guys, and maybe that's what Chip Kelly's trying to do here and go away from the pre- prima donna type recruits. But I just don't see that being successful there. As great as he did at Oregon, it's been far removed enough, Tyler, to now where he has not had success in a while. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in what ten years? Not quite that long, I don't think. But it's been a while. Yeah, I mean, is I don't think kids these days really know who Chip Kelly is. You know, like they probably do, but not not. It's not like us, our generation. Right. Like he was the big thing for a long time. The kids that are he's recruiting now are like ten years old when that happened. Yeah. Pekla asked, "Do you think Husker Turd will come back on the board after the Buffs clown stop the Fuskers?" Did you? Uh, I don't remember this. So, so I, in fairness, I don't get on the board much anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, there was a thread that but. was talking about Nebraska, and uh, this Nebraska fan decided he was going to uh, create chaos in this thread. Oh. And what? So coming it, it, from what really sparked it was you guys know that we outplayed you in Lincoln last year and should have won that game, <laughs> and you you're, well. you know how CU fans are going to react to that. Yeah, for sure. And he knows that that's wrong, so that's fine. Coming from an admitted troll. In my life, don't let him win. You just all he wanted was you to get all up in arms so he could have a little laugh and go on with his day. So don't fall for that stuff. Yeah, what's the saying? Don't feed the troll. Exactly. Well, he got fed. He got a, a full yeah. buffet on our board. <laughs> yeah. Good times. Cree buzz asked. I mean, it's all in good fun though. Like I talk about the one bad thing about CU being in the Pac-12 is there's just no real rival oh yeah i miss nebraska for sure it's been or, fun or i mean the collier thing it's, it's unfortunate that he has to kind of face yeah. the brunt of that on social yeah, well, media yeah. and because that's so dumb right I mean, there's so many more actually dirty things that happen in a football right. game to make that one but just kind of the animosity between yeah. the fan bases be that being sparked back up that's been fun i enjoy yeah. that so I, I actually when i saw his first post i go i could ban him right now and just nip this in the bud Nah. But let's, let's yeah. it's July. There's See, not a whole lot going on right you know, now. Even though I don't do it that much more a, a, anymore, deep down inside, like it still makes me smile. Yeah. <laughs> Cree Buzz asked, can you provide some additional color on the recruitment of Guy Thomas, the JUCO transfer via Nebraska? 
He was highly touted out of high school in Florida, but his offer list as a JUCO was light. Well, he just got there, right? I, to be fair, yeah, he has I don't not know. played a down of football right. at the JUCO ranks. So the last anybody has seen of him was at Nebraska last year. He played in four games, didn't have a major role. Yeah, and he moved from being a defensive end to an outside linebacker in college. So where there was that transition there. If he has 15 sacks this year, Colorado's going to have to work really, really hard to keep right. his recruitment. An- another aspect of this is the transfer portal. Now there are so many guys out there available. And yeah, there's the the cream of the crop, the Jalen Harris's, the Arlington Hambrights. They're going to have multiple options. But Tyler, there are so many guys that are uh, not going to have a spot now because they've left their college thinking they're better than they are. There's just right. so many players out there looking for a new home mm-hmm. that uh, and that trickles down to the JUCO ranks. Yeah, it's a similar concern. Everybody wants to bring back the NBA, you know, go straight to out of high school thing, and it's going to be a similar issue. That's why I liked the rule originally was you had high school kids whose careers were ruined because they didn't go drafted. We have one last question here. SVD Buff asked, if we had a parent cage death match, who would rise to the top? If Jace Frankie's dad was still around, I would put some money on his dad. Tim Lynott's dad is pretty stout, too. I haven't met all the parents, but I've got to assume some of the offensive and defensive line dads would throw down pretty good. Landman's dad probably has some overseas secret moves that would work us over. Well, he definitely has more inside scoop on what the parents look like than I do. I so wish we had um, like actual pictures of all the parents and we could really break yeah. this down and, and have brackets, but I try to be respectful. Like If I meet a parent like Carson... Wells' parents came by and, and talked to Brian and I, and they were fantastic people. I don't necessarily go out of my way to kind of get in parents' faces, so I don't I haven't been able to put a lot of faces, you know, parents' faces popping. I have an right answer now. though, and it's probably cheating, but my answer is Jimmy Brumbaugh because his kid is on the team. That's so. definitely cheating. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, why? I guess you you found a loophole exactly. There. You know, in a year from now, Carson Lee's dad, Shane Lee, great guy, great personality. He's a big guy. I'm, I'm, I'm putting right. him uh, as a high seed on this, uh, this cage death match tournament. I agree. Steve's in good shape, though, man. He I is. feel like he sold himself short here a little bit. Didn't even include himself in the rankings. You've, you've got to factor in his conditioning as well as his speed. Yeah. So... I know, yeah, I mean, he's going to tire some of these big dudes out. Yeah, just run circles around them, exactly. tire them out, and then jump mm-hmm. on their back. Some kind of hold. I don't, I'm not an MMA guy. I don't I'll know. take you on the podium, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Tyler, it's officially time for camp now. We've, I think we've talked about what we can talk about at this point. Uh, in a couple weeks, with that one open practice, we get to overanalyze everything. And have I feel like solid takes on everything. We'll probably we're gonna get in trouble for this. So you want me to do it, but I feel like we should do a podcast after that. That like basically just obviously makes fun of the fact that we only get to see one practice, and we'll just like have these super outlandish decisions on how these kids' careers are gonna go based on the one route we saw them run. Well, yeah, I mean after the spring game, if we did that. <laughs> Yeah, Sam Neuer is instantly a candidate for the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, exactly. Can we do that? Can we have like our top ten most outlandish things that we say based on the two hours of practice that we saw? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, Tyler, <laughs> thanks for taking the time out, and thanks to all of you for tuning in. Again, if you love Buff Stampede Podcast, 
or even just like it a little bit, go and give us a rating and a review, hopefully a five-star. We'll read – if you, we get some funny reviews, we're going to read those on the next podcast. So get creative with it. We appreciate you. Thanks for tuning in.